0: Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Peter Hazelhurst. Peter, are you ready to do this?
1: Absolutely. Should be great take.
0: Excellent. Let, let, let's do this. Peter is the co-founder and CEO of Sync Terra. They're an organization closing the gap between community banks and fintech and shaping the future of tomorrow's banking. I'm excited to have you on. Peter, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do.
1: Thanks, man. So, listen, I grew up in Australia and sort of became a self-taught nerd and engineer when I was a young, uh, sort of 13, 14-year-old boy. And uh, by the time I turned 20, I'd been to the U.S. a couple of times uh, to develop a conference when back in Silicon Valley where everyone was wearing suits and ties, it was kind of crazy. (laughs) And I quit law school um, as a 20-year-old, came to the U.S. um, to do my first startup, and we built a core banking system on Windows. It was kind of like the sort of thing you do when you don't know what you're doing. Um, So being fearless and stupid was actually a great attribute for starting a company. And... Sorry, go ahead. No. I think, uh, anyway, so we had a great time. We were super lucky, ended up going public in 96, and we grew the business. And the crazy thing is the software that we wrote and I wrote way back then, 27 years ago, still runs bunches of banks in the US today. And that's sort of the nature of what happens in banking and fintech. Like old stuff is safe and easy and reliable, and so people keep going with it and going and building with it. So I did a bunch of startups over my career, um, moved from the East Coast, where I originally started, all the way over to Silicon Valley in 2004. Uh, along the way, got married, had twins uh, 10 years ago, uh, cunningly named by my wife, who'd never seen Star Wars, Luke and Leah. Uh So I said, <laughs> yes, you can keep that. that. That's a win for me, um, <laughs> which technically makes me Darth Vader, I suppose. Um, and off, <laughs> off to the races we went. Uh, so... And look, I've I've had a really fun career and and a really fun life, and now it's uh, a really interesting phase for me as we start to build something new at Sync Tower.
0: Nice, wow. There's a lot of really great stuff there. I imagine that that because your kids are named Luke and Leia, that gives you the opportunity to 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 get the room laughing every time you do a presentation.
1: <laughs> it, it's a reasonably fast start. Um, <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you can. Uh, you don't have to worry about like what are you going to pull for your secret story. Right. Uh, anyway.
0: Yeah, that, that's 100% true. And I also, you know, when 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 I was 20 years old and I was wondering what I was going to do with my life, I did not find myself building a core banking system on Windows. So just to I, I just I I'm not sure what kind of circles you were running and different ones than mine, but that's not necessarily the most common thing. I just I, I just wanted to throw that out there. So
1: Well, it was one of these weird things like so I I think for reals, it was actually this huge advantage overall in my career of not going to college uh, because, sorry, and law school in Australia is undergraduate school. So it's like straight out of high school, you go and and do law or medicine or whatever. (laughs) And so I effectively got this sort of five-year, six-year head start on a bunch of folks that did go to college. Now, they were actually educated and uh, learned to code (laughs) for real. I just hacked it. But it was one of these crazy benefits back then.
0: Nice. That's awesome. All right. And, and what, 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 what was it about banking that you said, this is, this is what I'm going to focus on?
1: Well, the, the weird thing is it wasn't about banking. I was at this developer conference and um, random stuff happened and I got three job offers. And I was like, this is amazing. And one of the job offers was this um, small plane company. I don't know if you've heard of them called Boeing. Hmm. And, and they were building this new plane called the 777. And they needed a database administrator, a DBA. And they said, would you like to do that? And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And the second one was this dude who came up and he said, hey, I'm from Goldman Sachs. Do you want to be DBA for Goldman Sachs? And I didn't know what Goldman Sachs was. So I was like, screw that. Right. Get out of here. And then one random guy comes up in khakis and and a polo shirt. He's like the only person not in a suit and a tie. And he's like, hey, do you want to do lunch? And I just laughed my head off. I was like, I didn't think people actually said that out loud, that it was only on stupid television from America. <laughs> and, he, and I was like, sure, so we did lunch and, and he's like, well, I'm going to start an accounting system. And I was like, I don't know what accounting was, but that sounds interesting. I didn't really pay much attention to it. I was making $25,384 a year as a contract programmer in Australia. And five months later or four months later, this big fax arrives. It's old school faxes was how you communicated, sure. there was no email. And it said they'd pay me a 55 US, 55,000. And at the time, the US dollar was twice as valuable as the Australian dollar. So it was 110 Australian to quit school. And I was like, screw this, I'm out. That sounds great. I didn't know what we were going to build. And we came over here and we said, hey, let's take on these old AS400s and System 36 mainframes that community banks were running back then. And those systems were like 15 years old. Our conference room table was the coolest thing. It was an old... Um, IBM mainframe hard drive, and this hard drive was bigger than you know your giant table. We put a piece of glass on it, and the storage on the hard drive was five megabytes. It was mm. this tiny little thing, and so we said, let's take this on. And the the crazy thing is, you know, it's 27 years later, and we're still I'm back in selling to community banks with SyncTerra, and my system's still running, which is cool. You know, whatever, it's only 27 years old. But the systems we were trying to replace they still run. So they're like 42, 43 years old. It's insane. And there just had to be a different way to help these community banks come to market. And that's what sort of came to fruition with Synctera, which was leave all that stuff alone. Let's run a mini core or a fake core banking system on the side to help fintechs launch their new services. And that's what we started to build.
0: This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform, for your company, your organization and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show. Got it. So is the problem simply that the stuff that they're using is old?
1: Um, it's not so much actually ironically the stuff they're using kind of works. It's not so it's not that's not the issue. It's that the innovation pace of change is really slow. And it doesn't really matter if you're a community bank because your customer base is very uh, close to your, your region or your space. So if you're in Marion, Ohio, the people in your town, they're your customers. Mm-hmm. They don't. And being on the internet is useful for those people, but it's not like someone across the street in Florida is going to say, I wish I had a bank account at this bank in Marion, Ohio. So the internet doesn't really help them. So innovation is a slow problem. And, and you see this every month with like, Google or Apple Pay announcing 75 new community banks support Apple Pay or Google Pay. It's because they're progressively going through them one by one, slowly adding them. And every time they do, they add like a 1,000 people or 5,000 people to Apple Pay or Google Pay. So if you're those banks, you don't really need all the high tech stuff, with one exception. If you intend to grow, the only way you can grow is either buy some branches from banks nearby or somehow hit the jackpot and get the next chime to be a FinTech that's running on your bank's license. And the only way they're gonna to get to that place is if someone like us helps them with the tech stack and the and the compliance and the regulatory reporting and reconciliation and all the billing stuff that's necessary to onboard and manage a fintech that comes to them.
0: Got it, so you are equipping them with the tools that they need to be attractive for, for growing by attracting a potential business partner?
1: Exactly. So think of it like um, if, if you think of like the existing community banks that do fintech banking, what they have done is they've taken advantage of the law that changed in 2008 that went into effect in 2011, which was as a retail bank with more than 10 billion in assets, you can no longer charge interchange for debit cards. So if you went back in time and looked at the Internet in 2010, go on Wayback Machine, you'll see B of A, Chase, everybody else has rewards programs for debit cards. It was amazing, right? You swipe your debit card. You got miles just like you swiped your credit card. Then the law changes and the banks can no longer charge interchange. And this was a result of basically Walmart and other big retailers saying, hey, this sucks. Why is someone charging me one and a half percent, a dollar fifty to buy a hundred dollars worth of groceries when they can walk outside and use the ATM? It's free and we'll get cash and it costs us nothing to accept the money. So the logic of it was really sound. And if you look around the rest of the world, debit cards generally have no fees at all or very small, five cents, ten cents, things like this. But banks under 10 billion, they were exempted from this law. And so something what happened was, if you're a community bank, you had this amazing opportunity to monetize your bank and growth by lending your license to a, to a FinTech. So you look at all the neobanks that have started since then, and they're all basically running the same premise, which is, we've got a cool product, we've got an amazing experience, and here's a debit card, and some of them even have cash back, which doesn't make sense logically, but then you realize, hey, they're earning interchange. And the interchange is a rev share with the bank. So the bank earns 150 or 140 bits of interchange on every swipe. And what you'll find the community bank doing is saying, hey, FinTech, we'll give you 1% and we'll keep 40 bits, which is a great business model for the bank because how are they going to grow? If the whole bank has 5,000 customers and suddenly a FinTech's onboarding 5,000 customers a day, like the world changes for them. And that change of uh, capacity and capability then said, well, how do we do this? And a few fintech banks got into the game and they hodgepodged it together and built a little bit of infrastructure and got lucky and stuff like that. Kind of crazy. Some Silicon Valley people went and bought little community banks in the middle of nowhere and said, hey, I'm gonna turn you into a fintech bank and I'll bring my tech skills to the market. But it's been stagnant. It's about 30 or 40 banks that do this right now. And the challenge is there is a zillion fintechs starting every week saying, I need a home, I need a bank and there aren't enough banks. So Synctera's job is to fix the imbalance of supply and demand by bringing on more banks that are capable of doing fintech banking and making the existing ones more efficient.
0: How many community banks are there in the country? Are we talking about thousands?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of thousand, 2,500 give or take. Add another thousand or so credit unions as well. So there's a lot of them. And many of them are super tiny. Some of them have like one branch. Some of them have no branches and um and so and they almost all follow the same playbook which is they're the local lenders to small business so in the revitalization of the economy post-covid these are the banks that are going to be saying hey we'll rebank you nail salon we'll help you with the daycare we'll help you with the laundromat all these services that chase and A and chase and, and and everyone else they don't have branches in every small town and that's where the community banks come in
0: got it Okay, and is it? What is it, it for for this fintech? Let let's let, let's let's say that I'm one of these these new fintech startups, and 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 I need a bank relationship. Is it attractive because they have the they've they've not met that threshold of assets yet?
1: Exactly, that's the critical thing. So if you're you're the next chime. So last week I talked to ironically two different companies based in India who are trying to corner the market on students who are going to go do their MBAs in the US. And so they're going to create a neo bank for transiting students. And the biggest challenge they have is at the time of the account creation when they're graduating from IIT or something in India, they don't have a social security number. And you know this, when you open a bank account, the first thing they say is, show me your social security card or something like that to prove your identity. Now in the US, 99% of banks think that's the rules. The rules don't actually say you have to show a social security card. They, have, they say that you have to show you're a, a legally possible resident of the U.S. And so actually what turns out like your visa for being in school plus a, a driver's license or um, a passport counts as identity verification. But then you have to find a bank that says, great, we'll do that. None of the big retail banks will do that. And even if they did do that, there's no money to be had because they don't have the uh, interchange exemption, the Durban exemption. So first things first is uh, a neobank wannabe fintech. You need to find out who is that bank that's going to partner with you and can you make a relationship with them? And they do a bunch of compliance checks and make sure that you're going to be a safe and sound user of their license, right? Because the last thing they want is a bunch of folks from Stanford or MIT launching a neobank and forgetting to do KYC and onboarding a bunch of terrorists or money launderers or bad actors and so on. So as a bank, your first goal is make sure they match the compliance side of things and then make sure they're funded in some way, shape or form. And that's where we come in. So we come in and we're basically building this marketplace. Community banks on one side, fintechs on the other. And then we're doing this matchmaking dance. Because some of the fintechs will say, I want to do crypto. Most of the community banks will say, I don't understand crypto, I don't want to do that. Some Some fintechs will say, I'm in it to do cannabis banking, which is actually quite challenging with all the local versus federal regulations around um, weed and so forth. Because it's federally illegal, but it's okay at the state level. So then how do you pay for stuff? It becomes interesting. And so what we do is we look at what the fintech wants to do. We look at our slate of banks that are on the platform, and we try and match them up and say, hey, these are the two or three banks that are most likely to want to do business with you. Start a conversation. And that's how we run the service.
0: Fascinating. Nice. Well, very cool. So... I think you probably explained this to me, but what happens when when just just to use the example of of Marion Community Bank signs up with um, with XYz fintech and they do start on onboarding five thousand clients a day do they reach that that asset threshold and then they can't do it anymore?
1: So eventually they could hit that threshold. It'll take a long time. Okay. To, get to ten billion in assets is a big deal. Yeah. There's basically only been two or three uh, community banks that have got close to that. One of them is Corp, which has been doing this in prepaid banking since like uh, 2002, 2003. So, like, if you go into a, a grocery store and you go to the aisle where all the the debit prepaid debit cards are, you flip them on the back. It basically says one of three things: BankCorp, MetaBank, or Green Dot. And these are the brands that have basically cornered the market on being the issuing bank for prepaid cards with a visa or a mastercard logo on them so they've been around for a long time and those are the ones that have creeped up in volume uh, to to the 10 billion threshold but technically no one really crosses over that has really crossed over that threshold yet and part of the reason also to think about is assets for bank are loans not deposits so just going deposit based doesn't really tip you over the threshold, it's then what are you gonna do with the money? Yeah, Because you don't want the money just sitting around doing nothing if you're a bank, you wanna turn around and lend it. Sure, And that's when the things become interesting.
0: Yeah. So why is this good for 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 consumers?
1: So I think what's really interesting about what we're doing is we're gonna unlock a whole bunch of unknown fintech entrepreneurs. So here's what happens. Say you, you're really smart and you go into YC and you graduate and you get 250 grand, 500 grand, a small seed ground or a pre-seed ground. You say, great, I've got this amazing idea. I'm gonna do a neobank for dentists because dentists need to buy chairs and we're gonna do lending and we're gonna automate all of that process. And you say, fantastic. And and you show up at one of these community banks and they say, well, that's awesome. We've got 10 other FinTechs that are ahead of you in terms of launch. And as a result, we'd like you to pay $25,000 a month as a minimum. Hmm. So if you have half a million in cash, and you're burning half, of, or you know, a quarter of a million dollars in maintenance fees. It doesn't work. And what's happening is because there aren't enough banks and the banks are inefficient, they're bleeding off demand. One of our clients is uh, turning away two to three fintechs a week. Wow. And so what's, ha- so what's happening is the bankers are turning into basically VC truth sayers. They're saying, "Do I believe your idea is better than your idea?" And the problem with that is who the hell knows? Think of like Stripe, right? So when Stripe came along. They revolutionized the idea that anybody could do card acquiring. You could do it yourself. There's an API. Just start coding. And prior to that, you sort of had to get a relationship with Braintree or someone like that and do BD and all this stuff. And Stripe just said, anybody can go. It's a sort of legendary quote with John or Patrick Colson talking about with one of their uh, big Series D or Series D investors. And the guy was like, hey, who do you think's your most important customer now that we're investing in you? And he's like, I don't know. They're signing up tomorrow. And and that's what's going to happen in fintech banking, which is all the cool innovation that's stymied right now because there aren't enough banks to bank them will now start to come to market. And who the hell knows what's going to be cool? I don't know. I'm not going to cherry pick the ideas. The VCs barely know. Like, look how long it took them to realize Chime was a thing. They, they made it really hard for Chris in the game. And, and it's cool. There's so many cool things that are sitting out there. People are dreaming up stuff all over the place. And you know, the upside of COVID is it's no longer clustered in Silicon Valley. It's all over. And if we can help all of those ideas come to market, that would be fantastic.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's an amazing thing. Well, very cool, Peter. Well, Peter, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them?
1: Look, I think the cool thing to think about is if we bring cool ideas to market, we're going to really change the world of financial services. And I think that's... I'm proud that we're building a team that helps that come to market.
0: I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets – come on. Come on. How do, uh, how do the big banks feel about you? How, 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 how do they think about this? Speaking, Look, of, Darth, Jay- speaking of Darth Vader, Peter.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> I won't do that segue but to say that Jamie Dimon um, was recently on record on Friday saying the bank should be scared shitless of the fintechs. And, you know, in all the major press, it's asterisk, 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 shitless. But we're on podcasts. We can go there. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. It's okay. I'm Australian. It's, it's <laughs> totally <obviously>. fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and, um, but, but the reality is, like, for a long time, the big banks sort of said, hey, we don't care with these big retail banks. And we've got all this investment. Chase and B of A and others, they spend 8 to $10 billion a year in tech investment just in the investing for doing this. And along comes Chime, along comes TransferWise, along comes Revolut, all these great ideas that who thought would ever be successful, and they're doing great. And so if you're a big retail bank, um, you you gotta find a way to participate, but also stick to your franchise strengths. And your franchise strengths are brand and message and comprehensiveness, and it will take a long time for the neobanks to catch up in terms of features and capability. At the same time, if you're a big retail bank, there's a lot of stuff that you're doing that just has very marginal benefit and if you could just focus on the really high value things maybe that would make you better and the problem with that is when you're a company of 200,000 or 300,000 people you're trying to help all of those people have an interesting career and development and growth and a whole bunch of new ideas get created none of none of which really moves the needle and so like how do you sort of cull all of those things some of the banks are really good at that i think chase is pretty good at culling what doesn't work great Other big retail banks have more work to do.
0: Excellent. I like it. Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you and SyncTerra?
1: I'd love to have people check us out on SyncTerra.com. And particularly if you're a bank or a fintech and you need a home, we're here to help.
0: Excellent. Savage so, Nation, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Peter your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to synctera.com. That's S-Y-N-C-T-E-R-A.com. And check out what Peter's working on. Thanks again, Peter.
1: Thanks, George. This is super fun.
0: And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together.